if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now. Uh, nine minutes past ten o'clock. <clears throat> Thanks for being with us. Excuse the raspiness. Anybody else getting messed up with their, uh, you know, with their uh, upper chest and uh, throat and nasal and stuff? This this weather. It was forty. I think it was forty five or something for a high like on Thursday or Friday. It was eighty one yesterday. Those swings just do it to me every time. So my apologies for the raspiness uh, this morning. But thanks for being with us. We've got another hour to go. It's the third morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. You will not have to hear my rasp tomorrow, by the way. You will be treated to a full two hours of Peter Kersenow. I will be retrieving my daughter from the confines of Hillsdale up in Michigan. Uh, tomorrow and uh you know i keep telling her why don't you move your own stuff uh no i kid i kid of course i'm gonna move her out uh but anyway uh i'll be uh, up in hillsdale tomorrow so peter kirsten now sitting in for me on tomorrow's program so special treat if you know people who are uh, of uh, like minds with you and me and pete and they've never heard pete long form by all means tell them to tune in tomorrow to peter kirsten all right uh, i want to begin hour number two <clears throat> By talking about local issues and state issues, locally we're going to talk about Beechwood specifically because a few weeks back we had a great conversation with Jonathan Broadbent, who is a CEO and an entrepreneur and an activist living in Beechwood, and uh, John Stover from uh, Ohio Value Voters about an impassioned board meeting, board of education meeting, in which parents fought to try to keep the divisive 1619 project and critical race theory and all of the other uh, very dangerous curriculum them out of the uh, schools in uh, in Beechwood. Now, you probably realize, uh, there's a movement to stop it from being available in 600-plus Ohio public schools, but the Ohio Board of Education refuses to do so. They allow this curriculum, even though much of it is fictional and, mo- and all of it is dangerous, to be, uh, to be instituted or uh, to be uh, applied by the school districts. There's a lawsuit that was filed. We talked to uh, Dan Reganold last week about it. He filed the lawsuit uh, against the State Board of Education to try to stop this. So where are we in all of this litigation and all of these battles with boards of education over keeping uh, our, uh, our students educated rather than indoctrinated, uh, Jonathan Broadbent is back with us now to explain on AM 1420 The Answer. Jonathan, good to have you back. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me back on. I'm great. 
Well, I, we spent a great deal of time last week, both with Dan Reganold on the air and then uh, with others who were talking about the lawsuit against uh, uh, the Board of Education. But let's go back to the Beechwood story, because, again, it's been a few weeks now since I spoke with you and John about uh, the battle with the board there. Do you, If you have some new news for us, please tell us it's positive. I do, and it's actually resoundingly positive. I'm going to start with Beechwood, but if you'll uh, if you'll let me, I, I want to get a little bit into the state issue and national. We'll do both. As well, yeah, so we'll do both. No it, question. I just wanted to get to Beechwood first, beautiful. since that's uh, that's uh, where you are. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. So it all started with Beechwood. Thanks again for having me on. In between March eighth, when there was a Beechwood City School Board meeting, and March eleventh, when they had planned this horrendous color of trauma event, which was mandated for all Beechwood students. We went in and raised the stink in Beechwood. A whole bunch of us came in from the community, met with the school board, and gave them what for. The upshot and the, the great news that came out of that is they changed the thing. They drastically changed it. There were two speakers that were supposed to speak on Thursday, March 11th, under the banner of this whole um, activist-making color of trauma. One of the two speakers was dropped summarily, and has disappeared. I'm going to get uh, more into that in a second, but they changed the whole program, scaled it way back, so it was mostly innocuous, and they, they rebranded it unstoppable. So it was a one-hour program. Most of it was all just fairly benign, flew under the, the banner of unstoppable. But the one woman that we in Beachwood had really keyed in on, there's a woman in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. We are 99% certain it's the same woman. She was keyed up to speak. Her title is, what's the new catchphrase? Anti-racist. Right. So this woman, this anti-racist, was supposed to present. They canceled the whole thing. She has disappeared, and we've gone back in a few times to say a few things. Like, okay, are we still paying her as the city of Beachwood schools stroke to check for some amount to pay her if she was dropped because we came in and raised a stink. Thank you very much. And how is it possible that we ended up with three different versions of one program that our kids were subjected to? Um, one was supposed to be this uh, color of trauma. It talked all about skin color and racism and systemic racism and white supremacy and making activists. It was just this outlandish overboard thing. And then we went and met with the school board, raised the stink on that school board meeting on March 8th. Right. They said, oh, well, um, there, may, there seems to be some misunderstanding. We didn't really mean for that memo to go out. Something along that line. And then the... The program itself was really not all that bad. There was a bit in there with this. They play a YouTube video within the video presentation with uh, a couple of kids. There's an Asian kid, a black kid, a white kid. and They're talking about race. The white kid is talking about how they feel guilty for their, um, for their privilege in life when they, every time they enter their home or some such uh, mumbo-jumbo. Mm-hmm. But they... Bob, you asked about good news. Um, boy, we could go on. We could probably. I I have enough information, and enough has happened in the few past few weeks. I probably 
if if I had my own radio show, I could probably do a day on this or a week. Um, But a few things have happened. You mentioned Dan Reganold. Dan Reganold is one of a handful of people who signed up to try to speak to our State Board of Education, saying this stuff that's entering. I refer to it as sand in the gas tank of America. Jonathan, let me put the brakes on for a sec. Before you get into Dan and the Ohio lawsuit, which is obviously extremely important, which is why I had Dan on, um, I just have to ask, to what do you attribute the board's sudden turn in Beechwood? Um, Like you said, you kind of said to them, if you canceled this particular speaker and altered the program so dramatically because we came in and, as you say, raised a stink. Thank you. Did they say that? Did they? Because they were not receptive to the public speakers that you know uh, that that came out there on March eighth. Obviously, we played some of the clips. A little hard to hear on the radio, but we played some of the clips and we heard some of the back and forth and we heard the dismissiveness coming from the board members um, of the points being made by you and and many others so to what do we attribute their change of heart why did they cancel that speaker and why did they change the program to make it a little bit less offensive and a little bit more acceptable i wish i knew you know that that response that we got on march 8th the the president of our school board really kind of jumping at them the throat of uh, one of our speakers yeah. here beachwood resident is that's the most response we've ever gotten Ninety-nine percent of the time, we get up in front of the school board and speak, and there's it's crickets. We get nothing. I've actually called them out on that. I've I've said very specifically to our school board, okay, if if we have if we have a consistent, in my knowledge, about four years of no dissenting votes by the board, we can see no conversation that takes place on any issue. And we never have dialogue as a community. We never come come into the to the school board and question things and get answers. At what point are decisions being made? And to my eyes, do we indeed have a feckless board? I and that's I'm sorry to interject, but I I can't help but but say that in my view and my professional experience, being involved with many many boards of directors, the board has a job to do. The board should be challenging issues, you know, working through the controversial and tough topics, making informed decisions, and wherever possible, bringing in experts to discuss and consult. We see 0% of that in Beechwood and now other school districts that have come on board as well. We're talking with uh, Jonathan Broadbent. He is a CEO and an entrepreneur and an activist, and he is in Beechwood. He was a uh, part of that uh, uh, public contingent uh, challenging the school board on this color of trauma presentation that all of the Beechwood students were forced to uh, uh, to take part in. So now you uh, let's move ahead. You started to move on to Dan, and uh, you said you and he are working together um, in 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 uh, kind of tandem to stop the critical race theory 1619 project color of trauma-esque type of curriculum that the state board of education is allowing to be put into uh our kids classrooms tell me more about that yeah absolutely so dan had heard of me through some of his friends and i guess basically Mm -hmm. it looked like a few friends forwarded the video from march 8th and said hey check out this guy in cleveland he's fighting back too and i similarly had heard of dan 
So we were connected through some mutual friends. We just had a great, really long conversation. Since then, we've spoken a few times. He's keeping me up to speed on his uh, his efforts to fight back, and I've made him aware. Well, the the crazy thing you may not know, uh, and, and uh, uh, thanks again for for having Dan and for entertaining a, a pulpit for us to to speak out on these. Oh, issues. believe me, and I will but continue he, to. <laughs> I want. I'm going to follow uh, this thing all the way through. Absolutely. Go ahead. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Bob. So, the, our state school board. Many people may not know this. We have the second largest school board in the country, and many of those school board members are appointed by the governor. So we have this weird dichotomy between elected school board officials and those who were placed there by our governor. So it turns out, in my understanding, the, the, the school board officials at, in Columbus who were appointed by the governor represent the reason that we have this in our Ohio schools. If they were not there, and if we had purely elected officials, it's my understanding that this this bill that allows for it, it passed in October, uh, a vote of uh, 12 to 5 with one abstaining, that bill that opened the door, it opened the floodgates to comprehensive sex education, critical race theory, and this social-emotional learning stuff, all of which detract from education, it it allowed this stuff in. So several people in the lead-up to the April 13th school board meeting submitted this ridiculous online request, can we please come and speak before the school board? It was actually virtual, but we have to fill out this online request. Right. So three people filled out the request and said, hey, I'd like to speak with, I'd like to talk to the board about critical race theory. The board president has put a moratorium on any communication at the board level, among board members, or with the public on critical race theory, which I think is infuriating because it's, it's a critical topic. I happen to have put in a request to speak on a different topic. I was talking about, uh, this was April 13th, the video is live. You can find it on the website for anybody that's interested. But I put in a request and said, hey, can I speak on policy changes? Because policy changes should be in the public discourse. Everyone should know about it and have an opportunity to, to speak on school board policy changes. During that presentation, I mentioned critical race theory. And Bob, the school board members who were opposed to it perked up, and one even specifically said, boy, I'm surprised you were allowed to bring that up. You snuck through the, the defenses the filter. of the free screeners. <laughs> uh, jo- Jonathan, uh, I've got to get a hard, well, it's not even a hard break anymore. It's already 23 after. I'm going to ask you to hold on, though. Oh. I do have to take this short t- uh, time out. I'll come back and let you finish sure. that thought right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1026. I've got about four minutes left for Jonathan Broadbent to finish that thought. We're talking about what happened. So you snuck through, essentially. Even uh, one of the board members mentioned when you said you wanted to talk about critical race theory. That was banned, or a moratorium was applied by the board president and others. So you got in and pick it up from there. 
I did. And it turns out, I, I logged off after my time was up, but it turns out that most of the rest of the day was apparently spent by the board talking about this. And that resulted in quite a little uh, dust-up at the board. Apparently one woman started crying. Um, the board president started <laughs> apologizing for even the prospect of having to discuss critical race theory, um, which it just... Again, on the on the idea of what a board serve, what function a board serves, that just seems ludicrous to me. It's not about them personally; it's about the decisions they make. But you you asked at the beginning. You said, "Hey, please, please tell me there's some good news." I'm going to make a bold prediction here that these school boards, the the they don't know it yet, but the backlash, the buildup of momentum against the stuff in schools mm-hmm. is so big it's so profound right now that i think a tidal wave is going to wipe out these all of these these school boards that are allowing this stuff i can in just one week so bob i accepted a position it's a volunteer position for an organization called protect ohio children okay uh, there's a the spectacular husband and wife couple who are have just been caring and doing great things for our Ohio community for a couple of decades now. John and Diane Stover started Protect Ohio Children. We found each other by happenstance. Um, I run Protect Ohio Children North. It's about 204 school districts. I have daily, I have teachers, faculty, staff, parents, grandparents, even students who are contacting me we're building, we're actually building a, um, a secure encrypted Dropbox site. I'm getting secretly recorded videos, uh, recorded audio. Parents are in an uproar. Uh, I can't tell you how many, how many people have said any moment now. I'm, they have either have moved out of their districts, they've taken their kids out of public schools and are homeschooling or private schools, or they are, um, considering taking their kids out of uh, out of public schools all of this because people see this stuff for what it is the teachers are out there talking they're getting now 80 upwards of 80 percent of all teacher training is around critical race theory 1619 white supremacy takeover and all this stuff the teachers don't like it so they're contacting us um, we're building a database. Stay tuned on that. Protect Ohio Children has some amazing stuff that we're going to start taking live very soon. And I was, I was just going to say, when you get all of these anonymously recorded, um, you know, uh, recordings rather, you know, that, that, that are shining a light on what's going on, um, I think the most important thing is to is to broadcast this stuff to the masses so that you can really open the eyes of those who don't understand how dangerous it is. And I happen to know of a radio show that would be happy to play these things if you would like to forward them on. I can give you the guy's email address if you'd like later on. Oh, beautiful. Got it. Got it. Uh, Okay, I, I will think, greatly I think appreciate you, I that. I think you already know his email address. Um, so in, in all seriousness, I would be happy to get this stuff out there because everything uh, you just said is so extraordinarily important. And I am glad to hear your optimism when you say that there is a tidal wave coming to smash all of this. I'm going to reserve some of my optimism, maybe because I don't know what you know, and I haven't heard some of the stuff you've heard uh, literally and uh, through the grapevine. 
Uh, I'm still worried. I'm also worried about the fact that the CRT is not only invading our schools, but also our workplaces. Uh, you know, uh, employees are being forced to go undergo this sort of training, uh, smashing whiteness and crushing uh, privilege and all of these other things. So it's a it's a very very tough row to hoe in front of us. But I am glad that you say the you see some positive signs going down. So when you thanked me for talking about this with you and with John Stover and other and uh, Dan Reganold, believe me, I want to stay in regular contact with you guys. And whenever there's new news, you make sure you come to me, and we'll we'll get it out out to the masses. All right. Perfect. Greatly appreciate it. My last thing, please, people, run for school board. Amen. Did you see what happened in Vail, Arizona? I did. That's spectacular. I I don't know if that's actually going to work. I don't know if they're going to be allowed to keep the positions there. But that was phenomenal. Uh, And you're right. We do. We need to take back the school boards from these people who would cry over the discussion of race, as you told me happened on the Ohio Board of Education. Jonathan Broadbent, thank you, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Pleasure. Thank you. uh, Yeah, 1031 it is. We'll come right back after the news. All right, it is 10.38, a little bit late coming back, but uh, really important information there shared by Jonathan Broadman. I'm glad he's excited. I'm really dis- discouraged, though, and and uh, disturbed, I guess, maybe better, with the fact that board members on the Ohio Board of Education cried when Jonathan got through and was able to, during a board meeting in the public comment time period, ask about critical race theory, and maybe to condemn, criticize, or shine a spotlight on the danger of critical race theory. He said, because first of all, I don't know if you, if you missed the conversation, Jonathan Broadbent, <clears throat> um, who is standing, stood up to, rather, uh, you know, the Beechwood uh, color of trauma, kind of critical race theory-esque type of training that the kids in Beechwood were going to have to go through, he stood up along with a lot of other parents to that school board. Now he's standing up to the Ohio school board. And uh, um, he said, you know, the president of the board, Laura Kohler, has issued a moratorium on any discussion of matters of race in education, including critical race theory, which is allowed to be taught to Ohio students, the 1619 Project, which is allowed to be taught to Ohio students. And so she's issued a moratorium on any discussion of it because, well, criticizing it would be racist. <laughs> And that's the way this works, right? Criticizing it would be racist. Jonathan somehow snuck past the filters on their Zoom, their online board meeting with online public comment, and um, and talked about critical race theory. He said literally there were board members crying. You talk about snowflakery. This is beyond snowflakery. They're literally melting before your eyes if you discuss something that is so extraordinarily important to be discussed. Racism. It's so funny how the left, including these leftist snowflakery board members, are fine with talking about racism and condemning it when it is a minority group that is being treated with racism. But when the majority group, and in this case the white race, is treated in a racist way, condemned for their whiteness, condemned for their their skin color. It brings tears. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> no more. I can't hear anymore. 
Stop it, stop it, stop it. Cut him off. Are you kidding me? Racism cuts in multiple directions. I won't even say both ways to make it sound like it's just black or white, just African-American or Caucasian. Racism against Latinos and Latinas, racism against Asians, racism against whomever, racism against Jews, racism against people of an ethnic or, or, or uh, racial group is wrong, no matter who is being victimized. And it seems to be the norm in American society today to victimize the white race, the majority race. That's where it has come, or rather where it has gone, because, and this started way back in 2008, this started back when Barack Obama came into office and essentially declared this country to be systemically racist. Joe Biden, his lieutenant, now running the show, doubling down on it, has been saying it for years. Until, as I said in the first hour of this program, he actually said uh, this weekend during a speech in Georgia that now he agrees with Tim Scott, Americans are not actually racists. But yet he spends all of his time saying that America, which is nothing if not made of of Americans, is racist. Their messaging is so polluted, it's hard to even really process. I'm going to hit you with this real quick. Hannah uh, Nicole Jones, or Nicole Hannah Jones, whatever her order she wants her names, I don't really care. She is the primary author of and founder of the 1619 Project, writing for the New York Times Magazine as a part of the New York Times. About three years ago now, they put forth this notion and turned it into school curriculum that is being instituted in schools right now, shockingly and sadly and disturbingly across the country, that says the United States was not founded in 1776 to escape the British, and the authoritarian uh, British crown. The United States was founded in 1619, when the first slaves were brought to North America, to the colonies. And it was founded specifically so that they could engage in and legitimize and legalize and forever uh, endure uh, slavery, slavery of, of Africans. Now, after the... The, the material that they wrote was reviewed by historians of all sides of the political spectrum and the cultural spectrum. Historians on the left and the right all said, this is garbage. That's, unfa- that's not factual. That's wrong. That's incorrect. That's wrong. After all of that, Nicole Hannah-Jones eventually had to admit, well, this isn't intended to be historically accurate. It's, it's more the way we see things. More the way, uh, it's more the way that you know, the African-American experience sees things. In other words, it's fiction. You wrote a fictional story and are trying to pass it off as something that is being uh, factual and legitimately credible American history. It's not. So anyway, she went on CNN to discuss race in America, including the 1619 Project, and including critical race theory. And she's trying to say to us that it's not about making white people feel bad. This is what she's trying to sell. Listen. About, um, how they would want to pretend that our country is. Yeah, I, um, I reread your opening essay, and I would encourage anyone to do that, whatever side of this debate they are on. If they're going to be talking about this, they really need to read that essay to decide for themselves, you know, what the 1619 Project is about. 
Uh, I also want to ask you while I have you here, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dismissed systemic... You know, to, to, to the, to the half-wit, maybe quarter-wit, um, questioning her in this... Uh, I don't even know who this CNN hack is, this quarter-wit, but um, we have already read the 1619 Project. We don't need to read an essay written by the founder of the 1619 Project defending the 1619 Project. We know fiction when we see it. It has already been proven. It has already been dismantled. We don't need to read an essay about it. We already saw it and read it. But please continue, Quarterwit. Racism in America in response to President Biden's promise to tackle it during his congressional address the night uh, before. This is this is what he said. Let's listen. This proposition that we are a systemically racist country. Your reaction? Well, it's a bunch of horse manure. I mean, give me a break. This country uh, has had more opportunity for more people than any country in the history of the world. Here's the problem with things like critical race theory that they're peddling. They're basically saying all our institutions are, are bankrupt and they're, they're illegitimate. Okay, so how do you have a society if everything in your society is illegitimate? So it's a very harmful ideology, and I would say uh, really a, a race-based version uh, of, of a Marxist-type ideology. You know, from what I've seen as people are talking about systemic racism, they are pointing out, and it is backed by fact, that there are biases in systems that you can't really argue with, like criminal justice, whether it is policing or whether it is the court system. So what do you say to someone like Governor Ron DeSantis, who is, you know, making this argument, and we hear from so many conservatives they're feeling, and I think this is something that we should uh, have you address, Nicole, they're feeling that kids are, are being taught basically to feel bad about being white or to feel shame in being white. How do you address that? Now, before we hear the well, answer... one, I would say... No, no, that shut up. Uh, before we hear the answer from the other quarter, between the two of them, they make up a half-wit, which is, which is positive, I guess. Before we hear from her... Let's address that part of the question. What And Ron DeSantis, by the way, is one billion percent correct in his analysis of the bovine excrement that critical race theory really is. And, and I love, once again, I find myself sitting here with Governor Envy. As Mike DeWine sits here and plays the leftist anti-police games and legitimizes their uh, their anti-police rhetoric, uh, Ron DeSantis is down there defending police and uh, and uh, criticizing things like critical race theory. But anyway, <clears throat> the question of of you know whether or not critical race theory is intentionally making white kids feel bad and white people feel bad that question was al- was already answered. <clears throat> Excuse me. That question was already answered by the head of the Grace Church High School. I've played this for you a few different times now. Grace Church High School in uh, in uh, Manhattan, New York. The math teacher there, a math teacher who was critical of critical race theory being taught in Grace Church High School, was smacked down publicly by his headmaster because the math teacher Paul Rossi came out and said that, you know, the headmaster agrees here that this is wrong. And the headmaster said, how dare you? I never said any such thing. You took my words out of context, blah, blah, blah. Critical race theory does indeed provide opportunities for the black experience to be shared by white people, blah, blah, blah. And we can go on and on down the line. So the next time, 
Paul Rossi came armed with evidence. He came armed with the um, uh, uh, recordings that the headmaster or the head of school did not know that he had made. He came armed with the facts and this, this man's own quotes in which he said, Yes, I am concerned that we are making white people, I'm sorry, not making, demonizing white people simply for being born. He then went on to say that, yes, we are making white people feel, quote, less than, end quote, because of something that is out of their control, their color. This is what critical race theory does. It's in its nature. It's in its 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 founding and its in its idealism. Make white people feel less than in order to advance minority groups. So now the response from Hannah Nicole Jones. I doubt that uh, Rick DeSantis or most Republicans actually know what critical race theory is. Uh, I doubt they have read any actual critical race theory text. Critical race theory has been around for a couple of decades, and all of a sudden, uh, now it's all that you hear them talking about. Uh, That's because you and your quarter-witted uh, minions are forcing it into schools for the first time. It may be a couple of decades old. It doesn't make it a couple of decades any more correct. The only reason it's being talked about now is you're forcing it on kids and on workers. Um, and what critical, because the way that they describe critical race theory is actually not what critical race theory is. There are facts. The fact is, Rick DeSantis is, t- is speaking about the lack of systemic racism from a state that was de jure segregated, a Jim Crow state that had uh, segregation and anti-black laws all across uh, every county in the state where black people could not really vote until uh, the uh, Voting Rights Act, where there was de jure segregated schools, de jure segregated businesses. So to then argue in a state where legal discrimination existed in every aspect of American life until the 1960s, that there is no systemic racism. It's really arguing uh, for a country, again, that has not ever existed. So there it is. She is speaking of things that are indeed in the past tense, because they are decades and decades and decades and, and in fact, centuries in our past. Things that have been overturned, things that have been fought to correct, until we have now, what we have now and have had for decades, especially since the end of Jim Crow and since the 1964 Civil Rights Act, an equal opportunity for every person in this country, no matter their color, creed, gender, or whatever. So she's trying to argue that this is a systemically racist country, racist country because of what it used to be rather than what it is. And now she wants to correct the record by going back and rewriting the same history she is currently relying upon to make her point. Because the 1619 Project is revisionist history. I got to tell you, there are days when I do this show when I feel like I probably should never have left the educational world. I probably should have remained a teacher. I was a teacher in another lifetime, about six years probably shouldn't have taught English. I probably should have taught history. Because our children need somebody who's going to tell the truth. Our children is going to need people who know the history of this country, who are willing to tell it, and who are not going to rewrite it in order to make their present-day political points. This is dangerous, my friends. And I hope you recognize that, which is why Jonathan Broadbent was right at the end of our conversation when he said, Parents, 
get on your local school boards. Run for and win seats on your local school boards. It's the only chance we have to stop this nonsense. We'll be right back. So much more news to get to, and we are out of time, unfortunately. Let me get a couple of quick calls in of thoughts in response to this news. However, before we're done, Derek in Richfield. Hi, Derek. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, so, you know, with this critical race theory and, and teaching this, you know, it obviously it, it creates a supposed oppressor group. It creates a victim group, and it really, you know, it seems that it's teaching both groups to hate themselves and and hate it. And so, uh, people who who really, if they lo- if a person loves themselves, they're not going to be worried about hating other people. So this is not even uplifting to the the victim group. It's supposed you know supposed to benefit. Well, I I think it's well you're 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 almost right on the money. Um, I don't know that it necessarily teaches two groups to hate themselves. One group is supposed to hate itself. The other group is supposed to feel perpetually victimized, to feel sorry for themselves. Because you're right, critical race theory divides everyone into one of two groups, oppressor and oppressed. If you are oppressed and feel oppressed all the time because you cannot get out of it because that's what critical race theory thinks, how can you possibly have positive self-esteem? How can you think positively about your chances to succeed in life, jobs, school, etc., if you're constantly being held down and that's what you're being taught? Whereas if you are the oppressor, you are evil. You're bad. You're racist. You know, this, it's to your core. It's to your DNA. So you are taught to hate yourself. That is no, and thank you for the call, my friend. That is no way. In fact, it's an impossibility for those two sides to like one another and to work and live together. Which leads, which leads us to what then? The opposite of that. Division. And what is division? It is the first step toward achieving cultural Marxism. People need to know the reality of this. Jan in Greater Cleveland, I've got 45 for you. Jan, go ahead. Oh, hi. That's funny you said Marxist because my comment is I think the education system is a big attempt for uh, uh, getting Marxist, a great Marxist reset. And already people are paying people are paying about almost 70% of their property taxes into public education. And, uh, you know, so if if property taxes get so high, these people who uh, opt to send their children to uh, private school, Mm -hmm. they won't be able to afford it. And you're, you're exactly right, Jan. I've got to jump in here, Jan, because I'm just about out of time here. But I thank you for your call. Call me back tomorrow. We'll have more. No, not me. Call Peter Kersenow tomorrow. Kersenow in for France tomorrow. I'll talk to you Wednesday. Bye-bye.